Hello again, trippers. Alex Zane here, film journalist, movie fan, and your host for another glorious episode of A Trip to the Movies. Thank you for joining me today. I'm currently back in our podcast studio a mile beneath the streets of London, and in a moment, my guest this week, Mr. Tom Ellis, takes us all on his perfect trip to the movies. Thanks for downloading the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Odeon, because if you are going to watch a movie, it has to be at an Odeon Lux. For me, there is no better place to experience the mes mesmerizing magic of the big screen. And when I say big, I mean crystal clear, four times sharper, larger than life, I sense big. A place where you can recline in luxury while sipping on your favorite tipple as you immerse yourself in the all-consuming power of the story, enriched by epic Dolby Atmos that'll make your spine tingle and the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Now that is how to experience a movie, and there is no better feeling. You can book your Odeon Lux experience Experience at odeon.co.uk or via the My Odeon app. Odeon say we make movies better and they are not wrong. Also, if you'd like to watch today's interview in glorious Technicolor, do head over to our YouTube channel where the video goes up a few days after the pod. And for all the latest updates and to get in touch with us here at Trip to the Movies, you will find us at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod on all social media. All right, then, if you're ready. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to the show where each week a special guest takes us on their perfect trip to the movies. This week we are joined by a wonderful actor who, after starring in the hugely popular British sitcom Miranda, redefined the phrase, better the devil you know, by playing old Beelzebub himself in six seasons of the hugely successful TV series Lucifer. And now he is back on our screens in the brand new Netflix romantic comedy Players hitting screens on Valentine's Day this year, which, if you're listening to the show on launch day, is literally tomorrow. Here to talk about that film and to take us on his perfect trip to the movies, it's the excellent Tom Ellis. Mr. Tom Ellis, it is lovely to see you again. It's been a spell. It has. Very nice to see you again, mate. Thank you. Because the last time we spoke, I was working it out. It was September 2021, and it was just before the last episode of Lucifer aired, and we, we were talking about the end of that series, and I sort of followed it up. There was such an outpouring of emotion online when it ended. Fans were very sad to see it go. How, how's it been for you saying goodbye to that show over the last two years? Do you think about it much? Do you miss it? I, I mean, it's so strange these days. I think that it doesn't feel like it's finished in many ways because it's still very much sort of out there and people still talk about it. Um from a from a personal point of view i mean i i miss going to work every day with that with that group of people i had such a great time with them and but you know we all became really close on it and so i still see everybody you know i don't see them as much but we're still all in touch and we see each other you know we go and do fan conventions together and and all that so it feels like it never really finished but um I, you know i was i was ready to finish when it finally did um, and I'm just, I don't know, it's, it's really happy that it's had this kind of, I'm happy that it's had this sort of legacy, really, I suppose. Um, it, it, it has. And, and funnily enough, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it. When I was uh, looking at uh, some of the research uh, about your new movie that we're going to chat about, Players, um, I, so many of the articles are like, Tom Ellis's character in Players is completely the opposite of Lucifer. Right. And you're like, wow. I mean, it's, it's quite, I mean, it kind of works because it is like... You were Lucifer was chasing Chloe, and you're being chased in this movie. But it does sometimes feel like, oh, okay, we're we're still comparing it to Lucifer. I think, un- unfortunately, Alex, I think that's just something that will happen over, <laughs> over the next sort of decade as it sort of dis- dissipates and people remember that I was an actor before I did Lucifer. <laughs> um, no, it's lo- it is lovely to have been involved in something for such a long time and have a lasting impression. But uh, again, in the same breath, it was really nice. This was the first job, players that I did after Lucifer finished. And it was so nice to be doing something different. And it reminded me of what I loved about doing acting in the first place, which is which is the variety of characters and stuff. So um, I'm glad that I surprised people that it was completely different because that's, you know, part of my job. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, you know, it's, they're too, they're like chalk and cheese. So it, it, they're not really comparable. Um- I, I wouldn't have drawn a comparison between them, but I do uh, I do love Nick Russell, your character and players, before we talk about Nick Russell. Uh, perhaps isn't, love isn't the right word. I don't want to do any spoilers. I find him 
fascinating in so many ways. Uh, but tell us quickly then, uh, what is Players about? It hits Netflix on Valentine's Day. It's the perfect Valentine's Day movie. But you, you give me the brief summation of, of what Players is. So Players is... Um... It's about a group of friends who basically over the years have helped each other out um, on the dating front by doing these sort of elaborate plays in order to um, get the ball rolling. So they've got all, they have a playbook and whoever's turn it is to try and score, um, they go out and, and, you know, pretend to be other people so conversations can be overheard and, and things like that and sort of lay, um, lay the groundwork to make life easier for someone to score, mm. essentially. Um, so that's the sort of premise of what they do. And then uh, Gina, Gina Rodriguez's character in it decides that one of the plays she wants to make is for my character, Nick Russell. Um, and then after the play, and it all goes well, she makes the big no-no, which is that actually she wants to be serious in this relationship. So Nick Russell, um, I- I'm going to say it. He looks like a very fun role to play. Tell us, tell us about him. Tell us what attracted you to the role of Nick Russell. I thought it was a really fun like, opportunity to tap into what I, some things that I sort of reference back in the UK constantly as well, which is <clears throat> when I'm watching the news out here, for example, because he's a, he's a war reporter, and I watch the news out in the States, and the delivery of news out here is very different. And uh, it gave me an opportunity to sort of go back and watch lots of BBC News um, and, and realise that, you know, reporters in the UK talk in a very sort of distinct um, sort of cadence and register and stuff. So it it's it sort of that that was my way in for me. But um, what I loved about him more than anything was that he was he came, he comes across as this sort of you know charming, knowledgeable intellectual, but actually he's hugely um, narcissistic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, uh, and so when you start peeling back the layers, you realise that that is is one of the centre of it. It's Project Me at the centre of it. Uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you said that. It's. Uh... I think the thing about him is, for me, there is a there is a version of this character which is an extremely hammy performance, which is a very OTT performance, and you didn't do that. It's so naturalistic, and it brings this real authenticity to this film because we honestly have all met a Nick Russell. Did you have to have a conversation with yourself about about not going that route of? the inadvertent commas charming villain what I, what I really wanted to do was try and make him uh, plausible so that you you know you want it, you you want them to be together mm. you know you want you you want that that relationship to succeed and then slowly but surely you start to see this this stuff come out that's like oh maybe they're not right for each other um, but to play it you know if I'd have just played it like a sort of this is the villainous bad guy who we know is not going to be right for her I think that it just wouldn't have been anywhere near as fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and whilst, you know, it's not the funniest character in the film, it, it kind of is in some regards because of how seriously he takes himself. Yeah. So I don't know. I, it, it, it was a, it was a, I, I read this and I was like, oh, I know people like this. <laughs> I really know people like this. So that's what I was trying to channel as opposed to the sort of classic, this is, this is what my job is in this film. Uh, I'm pleased you said that because I, 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 we, we really have all met a Nick Russell, haven't we? I mean, I, you know, yeah. I, I would never ask you to 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 name names, but are, are there people? In, <laughs> so, are there people in your life who you've gone? Oh, I'm, I can never tell them, but there is a little bit of them in this character. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, and I, of course, will not tell you who they are. But um, I, yeah, no, for sure, it was there was there was some there were some easy references for me to pull. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it kind of, it, it took its form quite quickly for me. Cause I just, I, you know, I, I have come across certainly in the media as well, certain people that, um, that present in one way, but are completely different when, uh, when you get to know them. It's that thing, isn't it? It's, um, there's a, a wonderful scene, a really awkward, uh, couple's lunch in the movie and it really hits home. Because he's one of those characters that that truly is so confident that he he believes something is funny. You know, when people have like they say things and they they are a hundred percent sure it's the funniest thing that has been said at that table, and it just it just isn't. Yeah, 
It just doesn't land <laughs> at all. And that, that was that, that was we had a lot of fun. We spent two days shooting that scene, and we did make each of the outtakes probably a lot funnier than the film because we just made each other laugh so much. But I, yeah, I mean, being that kind of um, the odd one out in that dinner scene was quite fun, and you know, being. I, I'm I'm amused by stuff by stuff like that by people's you know just just not fitting in but thinking that they are the center of attention and stuff like that. It's just it really it was it was a fun dynamic to play for sure. Mm. Well, I mean, like like I said, like some of the more heightened elements, like the idea of this this uh, this uh, this playbook, like I think are really nicely balanced with uh, with you as this just very very recognizable character. But you, you mentioned making each other laugh uh, on set. You've got a great cast. There and I always wonder: yeah. is it is it genuinely a, a laugh a minute for want of a, a, a an age old adage on set when you're making a comedy, or is it really like, look, save it for screen? And you know, there is a seriousness about the craft of making a comedy like this. Well, it really it really does depend with the people that you're working. Um, I've, I've been on jobs that are like really serious jobs, and like the subject matter is is definitely serious that you're that you're portraying and. You almost the, the behind the scenes. There's even more laughter than there would be on a comedy because you almost need that release in many ways to kind of like get through. Um, <clears throat> on this one, the, I mean, the dynamic on this one, it was such a great group of people, and you know, it was encouraged to kind of get this energy going and this sort of banter between them. And so, therefore, you know, a lot of people were throwing things in as well that were not in the script, and that always makes people laugh as well. So it, it's tricky sometimes doing comedy because once you've found the funny. Keeping it funny is is hard because it's no longer funny after the first time, mm. or it might be slightly funny the second time, and then you do it like four or five times and you forget it's funny. Mm. Um, so and and then you start sort of getting a bit angsty and in on yourself about oh no I'm not funny anymore, and so it can be a bit torturous sometimes trying to be funny. Um, but no, uh, the, the the sort of uh, the general sort of vibe amongst everyone on this was we knew we were doing a film that was great fun. And thankfully, the film encouraged us to have fun within that as well. So, yeah, we did we did a lot of laughing. That's in, and and will you throw? I mean, you've got the script um, by uh, Ozark writer uh, Whit Anderson. What I've seen comedies. Uh, you were just saying you you filming in Atlanta. Um, I was I was on a set of a, an Anchorman movie in Atlanta, and th- what they did there was they did the script, and then after they'd done the script, they were like, well, "Let's let's take this to some other places." And when you're sort of trying to you know, evolve a scene and perhaps some of the lines on take four or five, however many have got a bit like, oh, oh, is this right? Are you, are you then playing with it? Are you throwing stuff in? Oh, constantly, constantly. I think, you know, certainly on something like this, you've got your, your script is your starting point. And then um, so the nature of the, and the tone of this piece is like, well, it, 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 it has to have that kind of influx of kind of um, impro at times and, Freshness, and I think certainly any time I've worked in comedy, that's always been the situation because you kind of like find the funny whilst you're doing it, and what's on the on the page in the first instance, you'll do it a few times, and you'll think, oh, does that does that work, or does it need a slight tweak, or does it need a slightly different line, or or whatever. So it's it's always a work in progress for sure. Um, on any you know certainly on any comedy that I've worked on, um, it's it's just it is part of the process is is coming off the page and seeing if there's something slightly better that we can do good well it worked and also i i i do i do believe you have a very good director uh, behind the camera uh, character behind the camera um uh, trish c um who i for those that don't know did all those incredible okay go music videos well her brother her brother's actually in the room as well when she told me that i was like i don't want to talk about anything else i just want to talk about those videos because they are brilliant <laughs> That treadmill video is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Isn't it? It's so clever. So clever. So yeah. good. And um, I want to talk more about players as we go on this journey, Tom. But right now, it is time to leave this reality and enter a dimension of pure film where our virtual cinema awaits. You are our guide. We are your audience. Tom Ellis, let's go on your trip to the movies. So we push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. There's an excited buzz as there always is in a cinema foyer, the hum of anticipation. It is your perfect cinema trip, Tom. Who have you picked, living or dead, to go with you? So I am going to take the Obamas with me. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I'm going to do that, mainly because I've always wanted to meet them. Uh, And um, 
you know, I, I, maybe it's not the best choice because I probably wouldn't want to go and see the film in the end. But I, I think I'm going to take the Obamas because um, that will be my one opportunity. Okay, you're taking the Obamas. I think I, I think once in, a, in an interview a while ago, you did call Barack Obama, in your opinion, one of the most influential people on the on the planet. So it's safe to say you're a fan. Oh, for sure. And also, you know, it would be interesting having a sort of intellectual discussion afterwards mm. about the film and to see whether we have similar taste or not. <laughs> You got you got to hope you do, otherwise that's going to be uh, that could be a deal breaker. I think if you absolutely love something and Barack Obama says he hated it, I'd be crushed. <laughs> uh, we could do a quick litmus test of that. I do have a list of Barack Obama's favourite films from twenty twenty three uh, right here. What what did you think of Oppenheimer? So <laughs> I'm going to be honest here. I didn't see it in the cinema. <clears throat> right. And my wife and I, and my wife is Megan Oppenheimer. She is a distant relation. Um, so basically, uh, we set out to watch it last week and I fell asleep, Alex. I'm so sorry. I fell asleep during the first hour and I do remember falling asleep on the couch going, wake me up when the blast goes off. And, uh, and she did. (laughs) I don't know. It was much more my experience of watching Titanic. I'm like, when's this boat going to sing? So uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a much better film than I'm giving it credit for, obviously. Uh, that that's that's that is an amazing story. You're watching Oppenheimer with your wife, who is a distant relative of Oppenheimer, <laughs> and and you fell asleep, man. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. One of the biggest things in human in human history. Yeah, I know, I know. But we, to be fair, Alex, um, we've got a two and a half month old baby, so you know, no judgment, no judgment here. I no judgment. Um. Okay, well, uh, did you did you at least like the bomb blast? I, d- I thought it was very impressive. <laughs> Excellent. I thought to myself in my in my slumber, thank God they didn't CGI this. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank God he chose to do it all practically. Uh, yeah, I listen. I, it was an incredibly impressive movie. I just, you know, I've got to be these days. I've got to be make like I've got to watch it first thing in the morning. Otherwise, I'm definitely going to fall asleep on the couch. Um, uh, I, I, I get you. I get you. I mean, uh, that's absolutely fine. You've got a, a two and a half month old baby, and congratulations, uh, by the way. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, as it turns out, Oppenheimer is one of Barack Obama's favourite films from last year, which is where we started with this. And so, I, you, you might want to let him know that you liked it. I will. I'll, I'll just. I probably wouldn't be truthful with him and say I thought it was great. I thought, especially the blast, was particularly impressive. <laughs> Um, all right, then. I love it. We're going with the Obamas. So that's Barack, uh, Michelle. Are, are we taking uh, Malia and uh, Sasha as well? And the dog, Sonny? No, no. I'm just taking mum and dad on this one. Got you. Okay, good. Right then. Yeah. There is a clock, Tom, on the wall in the foyer. It reads a specific time. What time of day are we going to the cinema? Well, like alluding to what I just said before, I think we're going to have to go before the evening. So it's sort of 2.30 Sunday afternoon. I think Sunday matinee. Hmm. That's nice. That's nice. That's a good time to go on a Sunday. Oh, build build the day around it. Build the day around it. Exactly. Church in the morning, cinema in the afternoon. Of course. <laughs> that is exact. That's what I was about yeah. to say. You beat you beat me to it. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Holy Sunday. Okay. We're going Sunday afternoon. And um, that is. That's not necessarily the quietest screenings. You know, a lot of people do go on the weekend. Do you like a busy cinema, Tom? Do you like the communal experience? I I do if it's a good. If it's a good film, um, I'm trying to think. The last, I mean, the last movie I went to that was completely like chock a block in the cinema was Barbie. Oh. Um, and there is something quite wonderful about being in in a packed out cinema and everyone's laughing at the same time and everyone's sort of in it at the same time. So I'll take a packed cinema or a very very empty one. But there's something just slightly sad about ten people watching a film. <laughs> and Barbie, though, that's so. Um... It's so interesting because you and I are roughly the the, the same age ish, and um, and so you know our childhoods. I'm guessing were full of going to packed screening rooms, and I I don't know about you, but I got such a hit of nostalgia for that childhood of always busy cinemas when I was in that Barbie auditorium because mine was packed as well. Yeah, so I, and I took my 11 year old daughter, and she got all dressed up, 
And yeah, it was an experience. It was an experience. I don't feel I've had a, a movie watching experience like that for quite some time since I was a kid, probably. Did you go regularly as, as a kid? We went, we didn't go an awful lot. I remember the first, I, I remember distinctly the first time I went to the cinema. We went to go and watch 101 Dalmatians, the, you know, the original uh, Disney animation one. And um, we, we got the tickets because my mum had saved up vouchers from Signal Toothpaste. Um, and. <laughs> Um, and sent off for cinema tickets and we all went. It wasn't something we, we normally did and, and we went and watched it and that will be a lasting memory for me. I mean, that's doubly special because it's like, look, this isn't just like we're going to the cinema. We've, we've sent off signal toothpaste. Coupons. Coupons. <laughs> oh, coupons. Oh, that's... Now, talking about nostalgia, oh, coupons. There was so, so many coupons. Our garage did uh, green Green Shield stamps, I think you used to collect and you could get things with them um god yeah all right we're going down a, a, a nostalgia wormhole <laughs> tell me tom you booked the tickets for this cinema trip where in the auditorium are we going to be sitting uh we are sitting right in the middle on the back row mainly so um people aren't always like looking at the obamas next to me <laughs> also i feel like that's the best position i have to tell you like when i went to the barbie movie with my daughter mm. i was um, booking the tickets and I found an auditorium that had some spare seats which was very unusual at that moment in time because the movie had just come out and I was like oh this is amazing oh I've got amazing seats in the middle at the back and we got there and I realised that I'd read the thing the wrong way around and we had the middle seats but literally at the like underneath the screen and if anyone asked me what the last movie was I cried at it was Barbie movie but not because it was sad but because of the 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 <laughs> The lights in front of my face. <laughs> I just, I we sat there and I was like, oh, I've messed up here. And I looked at my daughter and she, and I said, do you want to see if there's any other seats? And she was like, no, it's fine. It's fine. She was really annoyed at me. Um, and then it turned out that the, the, the cinema was completely full and we couldn't move. So anyway, we got used to it after a while. Oh my gosh. That's. Yeah. It's quite a lot to take in when you're right in front of it. I have to say, certainly with that color scheme for most of the movie. Right, we need one more thing, Tom, before we leave the foyer and start to make our way towards the auditorium. And that is, oh, the air in the foyer. It's full of wonderful smells. All manner of snacks and foodstuffs are available at the various counters. What are you choosing to eat? Well, I am an absolute um, uh, lover of pick and mix. Um, something that they don't really do that much in the States. So, yes, pick and mix for sure. I love just getting that bag, getting the shovel and going crazy. And I used to be someone who wouldn't put heavy stuff in my bag, but no, now I kind of like a layer of strawberry bonbons for sure at the bottom. And then we'll just work our way up from there. So, I mean, it's safe to say you have a sweet tooth then. You you like you like your sweets. I do, I do, I do. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. I absolutely love it. Um, so, yeah, I've got to be very careful these days. I can't do it all the time, but I am, yeah, pick and mix every time. That's, that's what I get most excited about when I know I'm going to the cinema. So, just pick and mix. Um, I, I have to ask, you don't want any of the new fancy snacks that are available in a cinema foyer right now. You don't want burgers, pizza, hot dog. You don't want those nachos with cheese. No, I'm not into all that. And to be quite honest with you, like it would be, I'd get a little bit annoyed during the film if I can hear like people just having a full dinner. Mm. Uh, you know, I kind of my my thing, my perfect scenario with food during a film is that everyone gets it eaten during the trailers, and then when the film starts, everyone's finished. That's that is a that's not a bad system, you know. You're allowed food, but the minute it's like eat all you like through the trailers, but the minute that film starts, yeah. boom, gone. People come yeah. round, grab it straight out of your hand, put it away. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Russell Police. <sighs> the Russell Police. Uh, what what are the uh, criteria for joining the Russell Police? Is your name Russell? It is. You're in. That's it. <laughs> Um, before we leave the foyer, would you like anything to drink, Tom? I will take a full-fat Coca-Cola, please. You're not messing about. You're not messing about. We got pit, a, 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 a sack of pick and mix and a full-fat cola. Yeah, <laughs> and and possibly some insulin. <laughs> right, I love it. We've got everything we need. Let's push open the doors into the corridor that leads us towards the auditorium. Now the corridor's looking a little bare right now, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up some posters along it that depict your most important movie memories. And the first poster I'm putting up, Tom, depicts your fondest movie memory. Well, 
about four years ago, I took my kids and my wife to the Albert Hall to go and watch E.T. with a live symphony orchestra. And it was magical. It was amazing. I mean, it's one of the best soundtracks ever and one of the best films ever, as far as I'm concerned. And it was just the most kind of like perfect thing. It just was incredible. I'm getting I'm getting hairs on my arms just talking to you about it, Alex. Did you did you say any had any member of your family not was it the first time of watching ET for anyone there? I'm trying to I think it was for my youngest daughter. She hadn't seen it by that point. So yes, it was a, it was new for her. Um but my god, what a, what a, what a film. What an incredible film. Isn't it? It's just so wonderful. Do you do you remember the first time you saw it? So basically when I was growing up we had a uh, a VHS player and when it was one of our birthdays, we were allowed to go to the video shop and choose a film to watch. And I've got a twin sister. So I think it was probably on like our eighth or ninth birthday, we decided to rent E.T. And it was, it was great. And like, it was, it'd been out for a few years by this point, but like, I, I, and I felt like I'd missed out on this experience. Um, but it was just, yeah, it was great. We all just absolutely loved it. And I'm, I I watch it at least once a year now for sure. Uh, truly, it's it's a fantastic film. And when it when you were picking that movie, so that's the birthday that you share with your twin sister. And you did you always agree, or as you got a little bit older, did, did the uh, did the did the did the taste start to take different roads? And it was like, no, listen, we are getting Alien. Uh, no, we're not. We're we're getting this. As, as we got it, we was it was always a huge sort of you know bone of contention. We we'd spend like an hour in the video shop, all like choosing what we wanted, and then we had to come like and bring our things together, and then slowly sort of decipher which one would be, which one it would be. But I think by by the time we were about eight or nine, I think we were allowed to choose one film each. Um, so I remember one of them being Twins, the um, the Schwarzenegger and DeVito movie. <laughs> I got the body, you got the brains. <laughs> Um, and Back to the Future as well. I watched Back to the Future through one of those experiences on my birthday. Also, another classic. I mean, you, you, when you when you pick these movies, I, I love the idea of like you were. It was a special treat on your birthday, allowed to pick these movies. So, was it strict in your house about what about what you were allowed to watch? Because obviously, like a lot of kids, me included, I will say, uh, got like ended up watching movies they shouldn't have watched. My mum played fast and loose with the rating system. Let's just say that I was like nine years old when I watched Aliens. <laughs> No, my parents, my parents, I wouldn't say they were strict, but they certainly would adhere to the, you know, PG um, 15. I think 12 wasn't even a thing when I was, but I think, remember, the first 12 movie was The Delinquents with Kylie Minogue. Um, and it got a 12 rating and I was allowed to go and see it. Um, do you remember that? <laughs> I do. Um, but, but no, they, they were strict. I did have a friend who was lived next door but one and they had cable TV. Uh, back in the day, and so they had they recorded a lot of films off their cable, and I went round when I was about eight or nine years old and watched Nightmare on Elm Street, and then I had the worst nightmares um, that night, and and confessed in tears in my parents' bedroom that I'd watched this film I shouldn't have watched, <laughs> and they were like, "Well, that's why it's got the ratings." <laughs> oh. I know, so bizarre. I had I had this weird like dream about Freddy Krueger. And then this horrific noise that I could hear. And I, I woke up and this noise was still going. And I looked at the window and there was like condensation on the window that in my head had formed this sort of ghostly figure. I just like legged it into my parents' bedroom crying. As I've gotten older in life, I realised the noise that I could hear was foxes having sex. Um, and it just conspired in this timing of this nightmare that it all just happened at the same time. Anyway, so yeah, that's that's why the rating system is there. Um <laughs> I, I absolutely get it. Yeah, I mean, I will say Nightmare on Elm Street is is a movie that screwed me up. I mean, what a what a conceit! Like the idea that normally you escape horror movies by going to sleep, but you watch that, and it's like, no, 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 that's when he's going to get you. That's when he's going to get you. Terrible. Uh, uh, now, when you hear uh, foxes uh, mating, uh, it, is it triggering at all? <laughs> Do you flash back to that bedroom as a child? Yes, it does take you back to that highly condensed window for sure. <laughs> it's always stuck with me. My goodness me. What a weird noise that is. So, okay, good. So uh, that's, I love the fact that you confessed, though. Uh, that's brilliant. <laughs> right, let's put up another poster now as we carry on down the corridor. This poster, Tom, depicts your worst movie memory. Oh, God. So not so much because of the film, because I actually didn't end up um, finishing the film. 
But uh, when Oh Brother, Where Art Thou came out, I went to the Stratford Picture House in East London, that's where I lived at that moment in time, with my two flatmates to watch it. And um, we start watching the film, the trailers are going on, and uh, it's not a packed house cinema, but there's a couple of like teenagers sitting in front of us, and they're talking really loudly. And then there's a guy sitting on his own behind us, and he's sort of doing the shushing, and then his shushing gets more and more aggressive. And then the film starts, and they carry on talking. Um, and he's a couple more aggressive shushes. And then all of a sudden, about 20 minutes into the film, this guy from behind us gets up, walks around, goes behind to these two kids and goes, I fucking told you to shut up! And he smashes one of them around the head. At which point, everyone in the cinema stands up and goes, whoa, 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 and the two kids start mouthing up at him. And then there was what can only be described as like a Benny Hill chase of these two kids with this guy behind them around the cinema in front of the screen, so silhouettes in front of the screen. And, and then the kids like leave the cinema. The guy goes back to his seat and he's like, oh, I'm fucking told him to shut up. And everyone's a bit like weirded out and the film carries on. And then all of a sudden, about five minutes later, the house light, the film stops and the house lights come up and two policemen come in with the cinema manager and says, I'm really sorry, we have to stop the film. There's been an assault in here tonight and you're all witnesses. We need you to take statements. Oh my god! So that was it. We had to go out to the foyer, give statements to the police, and um, I never saw the end of that movie. <laughs> wow! I mean, I, I almost feel like I shouldn't laugh, but your description of the Benny Hill chase and then silhouettes in front of the screen—it does sound slightly comical. It was. It was. It was just. It, it was one of those things. It was too hard to believe while it was happening, but absolutely true. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, that, that that was a bit of a roller coaster that journey because I was like, I was very much with. The, the guy, I'm like, yeah, tell those kids to shut up. It's it's a big step going from be quiet to, right, that's it, I'm having you. I know, I know. I know, I hate it when people talk in the cinema, though, so I do feel for him, but... <laughs> but you you draw the line. We all, we all draw the line. I tend to draw the line at assault. Yeah. It's a good line. There's a reason it's there. <laughs> I do that very British thing of just silently seething and, like, and then sort of, like, it's a miserable experience. You sort of leave going... I wish I'd said something, but also I don't want, I don't want, I don't want trouble. I <laughs> just, I want a peaceful life. Passive aggressive, just look and stare uh, and then turn back. Uh, That's a very British thing to do as well. Yeah. With the occasional and, sort of touch. Exactly. Yeah. I, I do that. I do that knowing full well I'm in the dark of the cinema as well. So they couldn't even see it because I don't want them to see that I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm doing it for exactly. me. Uh, right then, putting up a poster for the unfinished Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Did you get your money back? They did give us money back. We didn't go back and watch that, though. <laughs> right, let's carry on down the corridor. The third poster I'm putting up depicts the last performance, Tom, that brought you to tears. So the last performance that brought me to tears, uh, it would have been Troy Kotzer in Coda, which I watched very recently, actually. And, um, it, I mean, it's a wonderful movie. It really is. But there's a moment in it that so I, I'm telling you now, as I'm telling you, my hairs are going again. There's a moment in it where um, he asks his daughter to sing and he places his hand on her neck and feels the vibrations of her singing. And it is just one of the most beautiful moments. Um, yeah, God, it's making me feel a bit tear up now. It's one. Of, it's just a beautiful, it's such, and as a parent as well, you know, things affect you differently in your life when you're watching stuff. And I think as a parent, that moment just really touched me. It really moves me. Um, and it was magical. And, you know, I... I don't know if it's a perfect film. Very few films are, but it just, you know, just for that moment alone, I just thought it was great. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's it's a very moving movie. It's interesting you you, you say it's a perfect film. It, it it did go on to win Best Picture at the um the Oscars um uh and there was a little bit of discourse about that because um I don't know if you saw the Power of the Dog, the Benedict Cumberbatch film, the the Jane Campion movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that one and. A lot of people felt that that I think that was gonna everyone's that was everyone's favorite to win, and then Coda ended up winning. And a few people were like, "Well, it's a nice film, it's a great film, but Power of the Dog is is such a, a special a sort of cinematic film." Yeah, but it's so subjective, isn't it? I mean, like coming to the decision of what's it's not it's not what's best. It's just you know what the people judging it have responded to most, I suppose. But we all respond to different things. But I think that there's something for me that I love really simple, small movies. Mm. Um, and that 
you know, about people and that is what that was and i think that you know in these days of movie going there's not a lot of films that are just that simple mm. um and you know the, the, i think the sim the simple ones have the power to really touch you mm. um and yeah that that's that's how i feel about it alex i'm not i'm you know i know that people like to go and watch massive blockbusters and stuff but i love i i just love simplicity and as a cinema fan, I mean, we've we've mentioned Oppenheimer, we mentioned Barbie. Both of them had huge years at the cinema. Uh, do you think there is a change coming? Do you think people are perhaps a little bit tired of these franchise movies that have been sort of, you know, I mean, I don't want to say superhero movie because I don't want to badmouth all superhero movies, but this idea that we've had a glut of them recently, uh, do you think there's a, a change coming? Well, I think that, you know, and it's been documented as well, that, you know, Marvel are having a, an interesting time at the moment because they went through this whole renaissance of launching a, a universe. Um, and now it feels like people are a little bit tired of it. Um, I'm really interested to see what James Gunn does with DC um, because I really like James Gunn's movies and I like his approach to that type of film. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, like we were talking about rem reminiscing about films in the 80s before, I, I feel like it would be lovely if there was a movement for all types of films to have a chance rather than just, you know, you either go and make this film over here for no money whatsoever or you go and make that one over there for $100 million dollars but there's no kind of like middle ground. Um, and some of the best films I've ever seen have been in that sort of like 10 to $20 million budget, you know. In fact, I think my favorite film this year was a $5 million budget film, um, which was Talk To Me, um, that came out at the same time as Barbie and Oppenheimer. I just think it's one of the scariest, creepiest movies I've seen for such a long time. It delivered. It's good, isn't it? I, I, I had Danny and Michael Filippo, the directors of that, on, on the show, actually. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, well, you know, it's just great to see an original horror that, it, that just, like, takes takes a well-worn trope, like the Possession movie, and just does something different oh, yeah. with it. Exactly, exactly. And it was, it had that beautiful authenticity to it and just, again, super simple, really simple, but just, I've never been that creeped out since Nightmare on Elm Street, I don't think. <laughs> um, all right, we're putting up a poster then for Coda and Troy Kotzer's uh, Best Supporting Actor uh, Oscar-winning performance in that. Okay, our final poster then depicts, Tom, your unpopular movie opinion. <laughs> so my unpopular movie opinion, it's popular with some people I found out during my life, but... um. I am a massive fan of Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Um, for me, it is a film that if it's on, I will always watch it. And it's a film that there is a moment in that film that always makes me cry, no matter how many times I've seen it. Um, and uh, I just think it's an all-time classic. Okay. So, no, this is... This is, uh, this is this is an interesting conversation. So this is Sister Act 2. I'm so pleased you said back in the habit because it's the greatest uh, greatest suffix to a movie title ever. It's special. But it, it has 18% on Rotten Tomatoes, this film. But you're saying it's an absolute classic. Oh, it's, it is an absolute classic. And I don't like Rotten Tomatoes. Um, no, I'm joking. Um, I, uh, uh, it, it's a classic. Now, it might have been about... Like it is for some people, you know, at a point in your life when you fell in love with a movie, that's why it has this resonance. Um, but I, you know, I grew up in the church um, and I remember watching the first Sister Act film and my, with my mum and dad and they really, they really enjoyed it and thought it was great. And then a couple of years later, this one came out and uh, it's got some incredible songs in it, but it's also got a very young Lauren Hill in it. Um, and she does a performance at the end of the film that moves me to tears. And I don't know how else to say it. It just moves me to tears. And I, and I, and I, I will always love that movie for that very reason. Okay. I mean, look, I, I, I love your passion for it. And, you know, and like you say, some people agree, some people don't agree. And those people clearly review for Rotten Tomatoes. But we are saying Sister Act 2, all-time classic, back in the habit. Definitely, back in the habit. Perfect. I'm putting up a poster for Sister Act 2. I'm going to say it one more time. 
back in the habit as your unpopular movie opinion uh, saying that it, it is an all-time classic right then we have reached the final set of doors into the auditorium now tom there is a crowd of people hoping to join you and the obamas in the cinema do you want to let them in or do you want it just the three of you i think that um no i'm gonna let them in i'm gonna let them in because i yeah. want them to watch what we're showing yeah right. the crowd Go wild. They pour into the auditorium. You take your seats in the middle at the back. Barack Obama on one side, Michelle Obama on the other. So before we get to the movie you have picked for us tonight, we are going to play a few things on the screen. And the first thing I'm going to play for us is the trailer of the film that you are most looking forward to seeing at the cinema. So I, um, like going back to what I was just saying before, actually, weirdly, I, uh, I'm i actually really looking forward to seeing what James Gunn does with this DC universe. So when he brings out, so they're starting with Superman, um, and uh, I am just really looking forward to what they do with it. I know a few members of that cast. I know they're all very quietly excited about it. Um, and um, yeah, I think, you know, if I'm going to go and watch a big film like Superman was the first sort of uh, superhero film I watched when I was a kid. Um, and so, yeah, I want to see what they do with it this time. I'm not going to go do do that journalist thing of going, so uh, interesting. What, what what kind of things did they say? But I like that's not <laughs> that is nice that they're sort of they're, they're, they're saying excited things are, are about it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what James Gunn has done with the movies that he's done so far, I've always been entertained by them. Um, so I, I, you know, I, it's time for a fresh take on it and I think he's probably the best person to do it. So let's see. So I'm going to, uh, this is probably the kind of unpopular movie opinion that I would give that gets me crucified. Uh, I have never loved a single solo Superman movie. Uh, uh, none of I, them, not even the Christopher Reeve ones. No, not even. I mean, I don't look. I don't hate them. I'm not saying, oh, they're terrible. I just, I've never really got it. Not Man of Steel. Not Superman Two. Certainly not Superman Returns. But like you, I and I'm, I'm I use this word sparingly. But I think James Gunn is a genius. I think his his work on Guardians, The Suicide Squad, and like that script he wrote for Zack Snyder's movie Dawn of the Dead. He's just he's something else, right? And I think he loves it just as much as the fans like he's a big fan himself so i think that he he's going to set out to do it justice and also you know if they are launching this u- new universe then um they've got to get the first one right you mentioned some of the cast uh, th- some of the casting sounds really exciting uh, nicholas holt as lex luthor i'm into that yep love nick i think he's great i think david i know david cornsworth who's playing superman and uh, he's a really really great actor um so i'm Really intrigued to see what happens. Really intrigued. So come on then. If, 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 hypothetically, I know we were talking about, you know, the movies that you enjoy and the small movies and the movies about people, but if the right role came along, would you take a role in a, in a superhero movie? Oh, yes. <laughs> Undoubtedly. I'd love to. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, 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 if it came along and it was the right thing to do, absolutely. I mean... Being involved in those things must be incredibly exciting. Um, and I, yes, I never say never. And um, I always want to do stuff that my kids can watch as well. So for sure, I would um, I would answer that phone. I'd try and be cool for a, for a beat. And then I'd say yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mr. Uh, Gunn, yes. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I guess bearing in mind your your love of uh, James Gunn, like myself, and uh, and the fact that he is the, the man, you know, pulling the strings on that universe right now, DC would be the way to go for you rather than Marvel. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I don't know. I don't know. But um, if any of those universes came knocking on my door, uh, we'll, 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 we'll have a conversation for sure. <laughs> I guess, all right, an easier question then is uh, to decide which way to go. Is, do you have a favourite comic book character? Is, is there a character that you, you're like, if that... If that character came along, that's that is the one for me. That's what I remember loving as a kid, and the idea of doing that character justice on the big screen would be amazing. Um, I had a couple of old Superman annuals, and it was very much about that. Um, but obviously, that gig's taken. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I used to watch um, the inva- uh, the Amazing Adventures of Spider Man, the animation, and I used to think it would be so cool to be the 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 surfer, the you know the guy Ice Man. 
the guy just goes like that and ice comes out of his hand and he serves everywhere. I just thought that was an incredibly brilliant way to get around. So I quite like that. That I'm so pleased you mentioned that series because I watched that as well. It was I was Spider Man, Iceman, and Firestar was the third. Yeah, Firestar. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Firestar and Iceman can't have worked too closely together because that would have just had a, you know, a negative impact. It would have just been water. I think that was an episode. I think there was an episode where a villain put them in opposite rooms and they were trying to get through this wall, but she was using fire and he was using ice, and it didn't work. Amazing. <laughs> Right then, I love it. Okay, so we're playing a trailer for Superman Legacy. Next up, I'm going to play the movie moment that makes you literally or metaphorically pump your fist in the air. Okay, I, this this is tough because there's there's two that definitely like sprung to mind. So the first one is an obvious one, really, but in ET when they're being chased and ET makes them all take off and the music, the soundtrack, everything just at that moment. Yes, 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 go ET, go, all of that, always doing that. Um, so there's that moment, and then there's the moment which you'll never beat the first time that you saw it in Shawshank Redemption, where you realise that Andy Dufresne has escaped. And pretty much from that moment to the end of the movie, it's just arms in the air, um, arms in the air that Morgan Freeman doesn't kill himself, he doesn't follow Brooks, yeah, and he meets him in Mexico on the beach, just, that. that I mean, there. That that movie for me is probably my favourite movie. It's 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 a wonderful film. Um, and it's weird. It, I found an interview with Tim Robbins uh, recently, and he was talking about um, the reason he thinks that film did well, and it ties into what you were saying about films about friendship. He he, he talks about how there are very few films uh, about the relationship, the friendship between two men that don't involve car chasers, being charming with women. Uh, those kind of body movies. This is about true, deep friendship that lasts. Absolutely. And for me, it's the ultimate film about hope, um, which I think is a, you know, hope is obviously a wonderful thing. But I I just, I remember watching it not knowing how it ended and just, you know, for a beat, like you're meant to as an audience member of that film for the first time, thinking, oh no, he killed himself because it all sets up for that kind of thing. And then when they pull out and you see that that cell is empty, you're like, what's just happened? My head has just gone exploded. What's going on? It's just so brilliant. It's so brilliant. It is. Um, I think it's, it's weird because I think that's, that's the reason Tim Robbins wanted to do that movie was because of that message of hope that, uh, that you just explained. When, when you get scripts in and there are scripts to consider, what are you looking for? in a script is it depending on where you are at the time in your head or is it like you know you are you specifically looking for a particular character or is it literally i'm opening this script and i'm going to wait and see what happens i i think it's more the latter actually like you can always in your head think oh i'd really like to do something like this or something like that or something like this um but it's very rarely that sort of you can you can force that situation um i yeah for me it's I, I always try to want to do something that's very different from the last thing that I've done. Um, not always in control of that side of things either, but you know, when it comes down to it, you open the scripts and you read it cold. You normally know, or I normally know, within about the first five to ten pages, whether it's something that I'm going to want to do. Um, and yeah, it just sort of leaps off, and there's no, there's no kind of, there's no fixed. Um, way of doing it there's no like correct ingredients or anything it just it's just something that you feel while you're reading it I guess um, and you know the older I've gotten and the more scripts I've read and stuff that that distillation process becomes much quicker as well um, so yeah I don't know it's very it's very hard to put my finger on what it is that I like about things um, but there's a, always a certain it, it normally is just it feels uh, impulsive like oh yes I can do this it just feels like there's a fit that happens somewhere. Um, so, yeah. All right. All right. Hey, next up on the big screen, Tom, only a few moments to go. We're going to play what you consider cinema's most shocking moment. Oh, cinema's most shocking moment for me um, is the reveal at the end of The Sixth Sense. I mean, they got me. <laughs> it was just a kind of, what? <laughs> and again, one of those moments that you're, you, the first time is the best time, and then it's just downhill from there on in, but... It's just such a great, like, no one expected that. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the fact that you didn't say what it was as well, because I, I think, you know, it's 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 one of the few movies that even now, years later, where are we? Like 25 years later? I think it was 99 it came out. Mm -hmm. 
if someone gets to see that for the first time, you just do not want to ruin it for them. No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, that that and Shawshank are the, like the two the two sort of movies that I really was sort of hold back from spoiling the end for people they've never seen because it's just it's everything. Uh, I, I I really hope you <laughs> I really hope you said what like you just did when you, the movie was played for the first time and it revealed. Did you in the cinema go what? <laughs> did, did, you, did anyone else? Yeah. No, I, but I do remember. I do remember in the cinema, just that collective, like sort of the penny dropping for people, mm. and just people, just you know, it was that so that a tangible sense of energy in the cinema. Everyone had just had the the rug pulled from under their feet. Mm. It was great. Yeah, another example of why the communal cinema experience is a wonderful thing. Um, okay, through the Dolby Atmos speakers, we are playing the line or piece of dialogue from a movie that most affected you, Tom. <laughs> Um, I say most effective. Most effective me in terms of like it's found its way into my vocabulary on a you know daily basis mm-hmm. is from the movie Jaws. We're gonna need a bigger boat. It's just an iconic line, and it's a line that I can use in any 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 part of my life. You know, it's just one of those things. It's like we're gonna need to rethink this. That's what I say. <laughs> Go. On. Give me an example. Give me an example of a scenario where you've used it recently. Um, like, okay, the, last week, I uh, went grocery shopping with my wife and my new baby, and we had a debate about how big the shopping trolley should be before we walked in there. We got the smaller one. We went in. We started getting bits and pieces, and uh, we got, to, you know, like two aisles in, and I was like, we're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> it's just stupid shit like that. It just finds its way in all the time. Um, at, at that point, bearing in mind you use it a lot and you've clearly got a trolley that isn't the right size, does your wife find it funny or is she like, just go get a bigger trolley? My wife doesn't find anything I say funny, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, even though I say it so much, there'll be times when I say it and she'll be like, what do you mean? And I'll... <laughs> I have to kind of explain myself. Jokes like that are never funny when you have to constantly explain yourself. Anyway. <laughs> Oh, I, I'm. I I can tell you because Jaws is my favorite movie of all time. So um, I, I that that line has got an interesting history in so much as it came from the crew on the set of Jaws. They had to ferry all the equipment out to sea on ridiculously small boats and all this huge equipment, and they started saying, "You're going to need a bigger boat." Roy Scheider borrowed it and uh, and kept trying to use oh, it Manziel. in the film. So there was various times during the shoot that he'd try that line out, and the one that made it the fire to the final cut is when it actually worked. I love the, the documentary film about the making of Jaws is almost as good as the film Jaws itself, Isn't and it? about how it just sort of accidentally became this the the, the picture that it was. When it, they set out to do something completely different with this animatronics thing, and you know, it's the cutting edge of technology and stuff. But the reason the film is so brilliant is because you you hardly ever see the shark at all. It's all about the, the suggestion of the terror, and I, you know, and that came because the sharks it wouldn't work. It just kept stopping working. Yep. So you know, it just goes to show the best laid plans. The best laid plans. Right. Our penultimate question before you tell us the movie we are watching tonight is. The best use of music in a movie, in your opinion, Tom? Best use of music in a movie? Well, while we're on the subject, it's going to be Jaws. I mean, the theme tune for Jaws is just a piece of genius. Um, um, I believe it's John Williams. uh, And, you know, anyone that knows John Williams' work knows that he does these epic scores, you know, the E.T. and... Indiana Jones, the Superman, all of those big things, but this is just the most simple thing on a cello, I believe, or a double bass, mm. and it just it, it it is iconic. It's a character in the movie. It does everything it's supposed to do, um, and yeah, I think you can't look any further than that, really. Now, considering um, considering your parents wisely uh, stuck to movie ratings, uh, Jaws was actually a PG. So, how old were you when you saw Jaws? I think I must have been about 10, 9 or 10, something like that. That's still pretty young. Yeah, still pretty young. And, you know, it is absolutely terrifying. Um, But it's, I have to say, as an adult, I appreciate the film so much. There's so much in that film that I didn't appreciate as a kid. As a kid, you're just, it's about a shark that kills people. As an adult, there's just some, 
some really great cinematic. I mean, the the the, the all the stuff on the boat with with the Drapers and Shaw and um, Schneider. It's just it's just wonderful. It's just really great filmmaking and really great performances. It really is. And are you okay with the sea now? As as an adult, did it did it mess you up? Because I don't go in the sea, and that's 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 Jaws's legacy for me. No, I'm I'm all right. I'll go for it. I mean, thankfully, you know, growing up in the UK. It, we always assured that there wouldn't be anything um, nefarious in the water when you go in there. Maybe the odd jellyfish on Weymouth Beach, but apart from that, um, yeah, no, I, I was all right. It didn't freak me out to that extent. But I did, I, I, I did have a girlfriend once who would never ever get in the sea because, as a result of that, um, so that was the end of that relationship. <laughs> yeah. Right, that is it. Jaws echoes round the auditorium. It's been a journey. Barack, Michelle, they've loved it so far. They're looking at you. They're on tenterhooks. They want to know, as do the rest of the people in this packed auditorium this Sunday afternoon, and indeed everyone listening, Tom, what movie have you selected for us to watch now? I have selected players because I cannot make the premiere, which I'm gutted about. So I'm going to have this. This experience is becoming my own personal premiere of players. Oh, there you go. No. Why can't you make the premiere? Where is it? Is it the UK, the LA? The, the premiere is in LA, but I'm going to be shooting, unfortunately. So, um, so I won't be able to make it. So that's the, the whole purpose of this experience, Alex, is, is so I can do my own one. <laughs> oh, is this. Um... Is this the second wife you're shooting at the moment, or is that something else? No, it's something else I'm shooting at the moment. Um, it's not been announced, actually, so I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you. But um, I'm very excited to announce it when it does get announced. <laughs> okay. I, I love that. I like that sentence. You you should announce it when it gets announced. I look forward to that announcement. Okay. Um, so you, it, it's having, a, it's having a, a proper premiere in a cinema, so it, it would it be an opportunity to see this with people as well? It would have been. Um, but hey-ho, there we go. Oh, it, it it is what it is. Uh, you know, I, I it, thankfully I'm working. That's the reason I'm not there. <laughs> if there was any other reasons, I would be really gutted. But um, yeah, it's just it's just unfortunately how it's uh, how it's become. So that is why we are screening players here. It's, um, I, I get it. it, and it's a, it, 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 it I, not to dwell on the fact that you're not going to be in that auditorium, but I imagine it will be a great atmosphere because it's a funny film, and you're fantastic in it. No, it was, uh, it was, it was so much fun. We actually shot it in New York as well, which was just, you know, if you're going to shoot a rom com, to go and be in New York and shoot one was just quite lovely. That's amazing. So, like, because that is basically one giant literal movie set for the greatest rom-coms ever made amazing amazing and uh yeah it was just i couldn't believe it i kept pinching myself actually um because this is one of the weird things about covid originally we were meant to be shooting that movie in vancouver um and doubling it for new york but because of covid at the time and where we were at and stuff where the world was at they decided to move production to new york which <laughs> never happened um, and so we, you know, we ended up shooting this New York rom-com in New York. And I was just, it was, it was rather wonderful. That's amazing. And I've just realized that the last time we spoke, you were in New York and this was the movie you were shooting. Indeed. Indeed. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> That's funny. You're like, I'm in a hotel room in New York. I'm like, oh, cool. What are you doing? You're like, I'm shooting this rom-com and now here we are talking about it. So I, I can only imagine that uh, the next time we speak, you'll be announcing what you were shooting down the road in Atlanta at the moment. Hopefully it won't be two and a half years until the next time, but there we go. No, let's do this more regularly. It's always an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, I'm sorry that our time has ended, but that's it. The curtains have closed on players. Michelle, Barrack, the audience is smiling, thanking you, and have enjoyed this wonderful trip to the movies. But before you go, Tom, I can hear your taxi. It's arrived to ferry you back to reality. Before you go... Let's recap your perfect trip to the movies. You are going with Michelle and Barack Obama on a Sunday afternoon. You are sitting in the middle on the back row and then you are going to order some pick and mix and a massive full fat Coke. We're putting up posters that celebrate some of your most important movie memories. Your fondest movie memory is watching E.T. at the Royal Albert Hall with a live orchestra. Your next poster depicts your worst movie memory. And that is watching, oh my gosh, 
a fight break out and a man hitting teenagers, which let's not laugh at it, did become a Benny Hill-like chase around the cinema. Next up, we're putting up a poster for Troy Kotzer's amazing performance in Coda, the last performance that brought you to tears. And the final poster we're putting up is for your unpopular movie opinion, and that is that Sister Act 2 is an absolute bona fide classic. The next thing we're doing is entering the auditorium to watch the trailer for Superman Legacy. We are then playing the moment that makes you literally metaphorically pump your fist in the air, E.T., the bike scene, or Andy Dufresne's escape in the Shawshank Redemption. We're playing both of them. Screw it. Let's just do both. We're playing cinema's most shocking moment which is the end of the sixth sense the line of dialogue that most affected you we're going to need a bigger boat it applies to supermarket trolleys as well and we're playing the music to jaws before we watch players tom ellis as always a real pleasure to chat to you congratulations on players have you had a good time thank you Alec. i've had a great time mate thank you very much it's been been lovely reminiscing with you as well <laughs> oh good stuff man well have a lovely rest of your day and i'll speak to you soon thanks mate take care and as Tom's cab carries him out of this dimension away from our virtual cinema back to reality, we must all leave his movie paradise as well. But just before I say my final farewell for this episode, don't forget you can find the full video for today's Tom Ellis interview and indeed for every guest over on our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel. So do head over there if you'd like to watch those. And also, if you are there, please do hit that subscribe button and help us grow the podcast. And that really is it. But fear not, we will return next week when another guest fills our cinema with their celluloid dreams as they take us on a trip to the movies. Bye-bye.